ready to create and grow the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. A bigger audience, more impact, and a new revenue stream. We'll show you how. I'm Jenny Barcelos. And I'm Sandy Connery. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. everyone. Welcome to episode five of the Soulful MBA podcast. I'm joined with my co-host, Sandy Connery. Hey, Sandy. Hello. Hello. Hi, Jenny. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And this episode is all about money. So Sandy, why don't you share a little bit more about what we're going to talk about today? Sure. We thought it was really important to go through the different kinds of funding that you can use to start your business. Cause we do get a number of emails uh, coming into us, people who want to start an online business and they talk about going for, you know, trying to go for investment or, you know, how much money they, they don't know how much money they need. And, you know, if they need more money, where do they find it? Do they go to the banks? So we thought it'd be helpful if we ran through the differences between self-funding uh, bootstrapping and versus like investment, like taking investment from a venture capital firm or from an angel. So, and we all have, uh, both of us, we all, like there's 10 of us sitting here, the two of us have some different backgrounds in those areas. Uh, we both started in bootstrapping and then together we ventured into, ventured into venture capital uh, and there's lots of stories. And I think it's worth hearing what it's like to go through that process. Yeah, so absolutely. that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And just know that we have our own biases as we're getting into this topic. I have a strong aversion to taking money from anyone else other than paying clients. So it doesn't mean we haven't done it or explored it extensively, but that's just my own personal kind of mindset. I, I think unless you're building a hardware company where you or like some sort of company that requires shipping a physical good or product, like it's in my mind, it's kind of a better choice. Um, at least for me to, to go the bootstrapping route for the most part. So that's my own personal take on it. So why don't we start by defining those? So let's talk about bootstrapping. That's where both you and I started. So do you want to tell everyone what bootstrapping means? Bootstrapping means like going back to the adage of picking oneself up from one's bootstraps, which I find (laughs) incredibly alarming as, as a narrative in and of itself, but we don't need to get into that. It's just simply about like self-funding. It's not exactly the same. Self-funding is when you make your own personal investment to start your company or support your company in its growth. And bootstrapping is really building it as you go bit by bit. As you start to see revenue coming in, you build the company out more. So bootstrapping to me is kind of an ideal way to build a company if you can do it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, and it's it's a slower growth. It has to be a slower growth because you you have only so much money coming in, and you can only spend what's coming in. Whereas when I was in my other life, my previous business was in like brick and mortar retail uh, with a ton of money into inventory. And in those kind of traditional businesses, we would go to the bank and get a, a line of credit. Like that was just there's no question. You you there's no way you could put that much money into, um, into, into a business yourself. Well, most people couldn't. Uh, so you'd go get a line of credit and you would kind of be negative for a long time until you kind of worked your way out of that through that line of credit and, and into, uh, into a positive. So that typically isn't what our clients need to do. Like if you're starting an online business, you're not going to go to the bank and go get a, a loan. They're just, I just, 
I, well, speaking for Canada, I just not like it's just it wouldn't work. I don't think. No, although you have these amazing grants in your country, so yes, we, we can sure also do. talk about those at the end of the episode. Maybe we I'm sure always do. extremely jealous of Canadian entrepreneurs and their ability to get free government resources for their businesses. <laughs> but that is kind yeah. of a step. I feel like every Canadian is like, oh yeah, the government just like gave <laughs> me for eight, eighty thousand dollars. So I'm like, what? <laughs> So, you know, go Canada. God save the queen. So there we go. Wow, that's not my country. We're the bootstrapping type, Sandy. So, you know. I've just never heard you say that before. That made me, I'm always like, we got the queen on our money. Go Canada. We have an ongoing dialogue about the role of the queen in one society. So that's like a... Something that's probably going to come up over and over in these conversations. You should all oh see our, Slack, our like private Slack channel and the gifts oh, that we send Lord. to each other. But anyway, so I think that so hopefully folks understand, again, self-funding is you invest your own money to support your company. Bootstrapping is you build it bit by bit as you start to make money. And then obviously investment-backed companies are invested by angel investors or VC firms or private equity firms in some cases. So that, that's sure, sort of I- like the plethora of options that you have available. And I just want to explain that a venture capital firm is a company or a group of individuals or a group of uh, investors um, who sort of pool their money into a pot. And there's this firm will go out and find companies that are, they usually have a common interest. They want to invest in medical devices or something like there's some kind of telecommunications. Common, yeah. Something like that. So they will, somebody will front that and go and find the businesses for this group of investors to invest in. And then an angel is just a single individual that will invest in a company. And there's usually a re- some kind of relationship there. Like they would meet, you would actually meet the angel where you wouldn't necessarily meet all the, the investors in an, a, a VC firm. Correct. Right. Yeah. You'd have a staff person that you interacted with. Yeah. And mm-hmm. VC firms are really only interested in companies that are going to scale to be really, really big. So really we're big. like looking at like a hundred million dollar kind of big. So that is really not an option for most folks in our sector, um, ourselves included. So those, those are kind of the plethora of options available. And I've read quite a few books about like being a founder and learning about kind of all of the metrics and the needs and the, the legal relationships having to do with investors and startups and founders. Um, I, I don't think we should get into any of that now because I, I think it's not relevant for any of you. Maybe maybe like in the off chance, there's a few of you that are interested in, in which case like send us an email and tell us your story. Maybe we can feature you on our blog. But if you're in like the $100 million and up category, like you are um, someone that we all know of and you are... You're probably not listening to You're this at all. You're not listening to this. So, <laughs> not this um, episode. Yeah. So that's those are the different options. And I think that we partly want to tell our story because I think we get asked about it a lot and people are interested in what lessons we've learned. And there are lessons there. But also because I think it'd be helpful for you to be able to roll out some options that you may have floating around in your mind right now about your business and how to grow it and scale it and start it, that hopefully we can put some ideas to rest for you that will help you take more decisive action in the coming days, weeks, and months to actually take meaningful action and grow your business. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I will just also start out by talking about our own backgrounds a little bit too. So I come from a background in the nonprofit world. I'm an attorney. I was working at a law school. I was um, incubating a project that turned into its own nonprofit organization, the intersection of climate change and human rights work. And I was spending a lot of time fundraising, grant writing, and courting wealthy individuals, many of whom had started or were in high positions at software companies, in order to fund the work I was doing in the world. And it felt incredibly arduous to me 
um, and problematic for a lot of reasons to spend all my time doing this. And I decided to start my own business so that I didn't have to go meet with very wealthy individuals and ask them for money all the time. And so for me, like this, that this was never part of the game. Like I didn't want my role as an entrepreneur to be um, sort of in that same position that I had as a founder or co-founder of a nonprofit. So I, that, that's just like a personal thing to note in terms of my own bias. And Sandy, mm-hmm. you obviously had, had your own experience. Yeah. The only, the only way I knew to, in, to start a company was to self fund. Like you had to, as owners, uh, shareholders, we had to put our own money up front. And as I said, get that line of credit. And I didn't know that there was another, well, I mean, I knew there was like angels and I mean, I had to follow Tim Ferriss or whatever, but I, I, I had no, you know, relationship to that whatsoever. So if you started a business, you put your own money in, or you may borrow from your mom or your dad or uncle or whatever, but it's you, it's you self-funded. So that's, that was my only reference. And it wasn't until we both took that software program where we met each other that I even heard the term bootstrapping Mm -hmm. and they were all about bootstrapping. And I'm mild, you know, wildly Googling, what is bootstrapping? I'm just constantly Googling all these words I didn't know. And bootstrap was one of them. I didn't know what that meant. Um, And now I'm like, go bootstrapping. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we take particular pride in owning that too. Also like as women, as women who are like running technology companies, I think it's very rare. I, I mean, I'm trying to think the only other bootstrapped technology company run or started by a woman that I can think of is Edgar. So Laura Laura Roeder. Roeder. I can't think of anyone else. Like, I don't even know there, there are, there are very few comparatively speaking to women that are whose companies are VC backed, right? There, there, there are some angel backed, but it's so tiny all around that like the pool of women who, who have tech companies is so small. There's not very many, many of us in any of these pots or categories, but like, I don't even know of another, I'm sure there are some. Well, even even just bootstrapped software companies like you know right. Nathan Barry from uh, ConvertKit, Josh Pigford from Bear Metrics are they bootstrapped? No, they they're they're venture backed. They're they're funded. Yeah, I, I think so. Oh. I think so. I think that they've done both. I think that Josh has been part of company. I don't know. Well, we can read his blog. We should correct this. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, my impression is that they're, that they're investment backed. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's so few companies that are software companies that are bootstrap, let alone women led bootstrap yeah, software none. companies. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Us and Laura. Yeah. Well, she's self-funded, right? Because she funded mm-hmm. her company True. from her other, her other <laughs> online business. Yeah. Yeah. So like it does, it's in, in like, there's a real reason for this, right? It's really hard to bootstrap. Like that's what I was going to say. What are we doing? We're there's like a, a little bit crazy. People yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. We're crazy. But also I think we're, we're like living our beliefs, you know, I mean, that's what we're doing. And we explore the other option, which we'll get into in a minute. But I, I also just want to add in for our audience. And for those, those of you who are wellness entrepreneurs, like the spoiler we really think you all should be bootstrapping. <laughs> like Period. That, that's the spoiler. Period. But, and we're going to explain, I think over the course of this episode, kind of why we think that and what's happened to us as we've explored other options. And like the beauty of bootstrapping gives you freedom and there's a lot of great benefits to it too. So maybe mm-hmm. we should just kind of like dive in Sandy and go ahead and talk about like our experience going through the software program where we met and we we're starting to learn about how do you build a company? Like what kind of investment does it take? Um, just like really concrete questions that we get asked all the time by our clients and folks in our Facebook group and in our community. 
Like people, I think, Mm -hmm. don't even know, like, what does it even take to get started? Yeah. So I I was just going to add to that. I think one of the biggest messages I would have for people who want to start online, online uh, business is that there's no better time to do this. Like things to get started in business are relatively cheap. And I think we have a whole blog post on like, you know, how little it actually takes to start a money, how little money it takes to start a, um, an online business. And I think, Part of the I, part of what we learned is like you just need to start, and the faster you get that first sale, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, so you I can only right. grow at the rate that the income comes in. And so just to start, you know, even though it's not perfect and it's not you know all polished and how you see it, uh, you know, like the 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 perfect way, you just got to start and get that first sale and and bring that money in. Yeah, I think that's right. And there are startup costs, and so. So in my mind, here's what you need to think about for any kind of business. Like you need to incorporate your business legally in your jurisdiction. So in the United States, it's not very expensive to create something like an LLC. You know, it's, it's like $500 maybe if you have some sort of legal consult and to file the paperwork with your stake. Sandy, how much is it in Canada to create a, a holding company I- or... Yeah, we, we, we don't, we don't, we don't have those kind of rules up here. You don't need to do that. Okay. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I thought you were going to get mad at me. Cause... like to even, I just, <laughs> no, no, no. We've been struggling a little bit with this like U.S. Canadian Canada thing, like yeah. shared business it's relationship. It's a little wild, rocky. wild west up here. No, you'd want to start a holding company and yeah, it's not very much. You can get a, just a, a, a shelf, like a numbered company for, I think you know, I'd say three to $500. Yeah. And it depends on your state. So if in the, you're in the U S like it's anywhere from like $200 or less, even in some States to file for an LLC up to, you know, over a thousand dollars. So it just depends on your state. And unfortunately, you know, I mean, you can always also incorporate an estate outside of your own, but it gets more arduous and cumbersome at tax time to do that. So people always think they're going to save a lot of money by incorporating in like Nevada or Delaware, and let me just tell you, <laughs> you pay and for it in other ways, friends. You pay for it in other ways. So um, anyway, yeah, it's, it's so you, you have some basic legal costs and accounting costs, right? So you have to like factor in bookkeeping costs. So either bookkeeping software or hiring a bookkeeper for 12 months of the year. You need to pay to renew like your business license. You need to like there's just basic costs, right? And I would put that I would budget like about $2,000 a year to have like just basic operating costs. You're also going to want to start a bank account that's business specific. And um, there are many free business banking accounts that some may have a small monthly fee. I know like I have some that are free and some that are like $45 a month. So I'll tell you in Canada, there are no free bank accounts. There's always fees. Wow. Okay. So again, always. again, here's a distinction, but but like it's nominal, right? Like in Mm -hmm. compared to starting any kind of brick and mortar experience, like I'm saying a a couple thousand dollars a year is probably sufficient for you in base basic operating costs. And then you have things like website hosting and buying a domain name and then, you know, upgrading and using some paid tools and plugins. So like maybe add another $1,000 in if you're going to do it all yourself, right? So there's $3,000. And for our clients, like we like to say, you're pretty set for like two to $3,000 and, and you can do it for way, way less. But if you're like gung ho all in, I'm starting a business. I have nothing to start with. I'm going to file. I'm going to incorporate. I'm going to plan ahead to pay for a bookkeeper. I'm going to invest in some basic equipment. I'm going to buy the Nomstream platform, whatever, right? Like it's like $3,000. You are golden. Like, and, and I just want to 
point out how cheap that is <laughs> compared to like any other investment in yourself or starting a business in any other way. Like if you think about education in terms of, you know, college education or advanced or graduate education or professional training education, if you think about it in terms of opening a brick and mortar, even a wellness business, brick and mortar, right? You've got to secure those leases. I think I remember talking to a yoga studio owner in New York city a few years ago. And I, I, I remember just like the, it was over half a million dollars in just leasehold that this person had to secure just for, to have a tiny yoga studio. And I, I just think you need to put it in perspective as you're thinking about starting an online business or exploring that idea that, that like it's, it is an investment. You can't, you can't do it responsibly with nothing. So that's like another point of this conversation. I think we want to have, but you can do it for relatively speaking, very little. And it's not like just blowing money, right? Like it's an investment in yourself and in your future. Um, and ideally, and for the most part, you're going to be making money off of that investment. So it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a sort of like a temporary output for a much more longer term input. And then can we all, can we just discuss the, the, the whole idea of like getting money as fast as possible? Cause you do have these outlays initially, Yeah. but one of the ways that we did both our started, both our software companies, Nomstream and connectable is that we pre-sold. Yeah. And so we, before we were even ready to launch, we pre-sold people on the idea of what we were about to build. And those sort of early adopters, those ones that just really got with our, you know, understood our message and, and were really excited by the problem we were going, the solution we were going to, to give, to solve their problem, they gave us money before anything was built. And I, there's not, there's, you know, that could be applied to our, our listeners who are building an online business. Yeah. And it, it works for, I mean, it's Kickstarter. Any, it's yeah, Kickstarter yeah. basically. So you go out to your community, your existing community, and you say, Hey, I want to build this thing. If you get in on the ground level, you get perks for life or you get the special price or you get two for two for one, give one to a friend, whatever your deal is, you do that in exchange for getting people to buy into something before it's done. And, and they get a, yeah, they get a great deal. And they, some people really love being those early adopters. Oh, yeah. They, they know it won't be perfect, but they're really excited to be part of something at the, you know, at the ground, on the ground floor. And yeah. it always fascinates me. Like, why would you want to do that? Cause it doesn't really work that well yet, but they love it. They just love to, to, to participate in that way. Yeah. The other, the other way is like using a beta group, um, and then also charging for that or like charging. So if you have a course, for example, you're creating a course, a video course online, and it's going to cost a hundred dollars. If you want to get into a, like, you know, gather some friends and family or, you know, favorite clients and allow them to test that for 25% or 50% off. And that's a way to generate a little bit of money, uh, before you're really, really ready to launch. Yeah, I think that's great. And then we do also have clients who come to us about going to ask others for money. So if you do have a, f a friend or family member that you're getting money from, I mean, that's obviously your own business. And I, I'm, you know, everyone needs to do what they need to do or what they're comfortable with. And for some people, that's fine. I, I will just say that you don't need to do that to start one of these kind of businesses. Like it's not necessarily necessary for you to do it. If you have the resources and the relationships and somebody is like eager to support you in some way, and they've been wanting to help 
help support you or take an action, that's great. That's a gift. Awesome. But most people are not in that situation and you, you don't need it. That's all. Like if, if it's not a readily available option to you, I just wouldn't stress out about that at all. Like it's, it's, this is completely available to you to become an entrepreneur in this way. Um, it doesn't mean it's easy or there's not, it doesn't mean there's not a learning curve, but it's, it's certainly possible. So let's move into the investment side of things. And maybe could you start by telling everyone why you sought out investments? So we, we, here we are, or here you are a bootstrapped, you know, nomstream software. And you decided at some point there was sort of a breaking point or decision point that you decided I'm going to try and get investment. So tell us yeah. Yeah. What that so like. part of it is, so I think I have this like sensibility, like I'm a very humble person in a lot of ways. So I think the whole time I was growing Namastream from day one by myself, I was haunted by this idea that there's so much that I don't, I don't know. Like, and I've only been exposed to this one sort of like bootstrapped Kickstarter method. And I was starting as I, as the company was starting to experience growth and I was running in, running up against more and more things that were unfamiliar to me. And I was sort of unable to do it all myself. Like, it's just when you have a certain kind of company that like, for example, a software company requires tech support and it requires like some element of handholding for onboarding and getting new clients onto a platform and that sort of thing. Like there's only so much one person can do. And I was working with just one developer for a year and a half and me and we were growing and it was great, but it was also exhausting. And I felt like there was so much I, I didn't know how to do and I didn't have time to learn. I couldn't master everything myself. And so I just started to feel like I'm not able to provide my clients with what they deserve because I'm so staunchly against anything other than bootstrapping. Maybe I need to explore other options so that I can learn what I don't know. And, you know, maybe the grass is greener on the other side. Maybe I need to be able to hire more people and be able to better support this growing business. So that's like really where it came from. It was just like, I was tired and I was afraid there was too much that I didn't know anything about. Like I never even took a business class in school. I was like very anti-business my whole life. I mean, I was a, an environmental scientist and <laughs> a political scientist and, and a lawyer, but I was a public interest lawyer. Like I never worked at a law firm. I never even thought about interviewing to work at a law firm. I mean, my, my life was so much in this like activist public service oriented approach that to me, it, it didn't cross my mind to learn about business. So I felt like I, I felt a little bit like I was doing a disservice to our clientele because I was operating with blinders on in my own mind. And I think just to be clear, like with the software company there, uh, you know, to compare that to just having it, not just say just, but having a course online or a, a, an info product online, there is a whole other level of of knowledge needed to run a software company, like working with developers and, you know, it's just a whole other world. So yeah. I don't think, I don't think we're saying that, you know, you bootstrap and then you're going to have, you're going to reach a point where it's like, I can't handle this. I need to go in for investment. Most of our clients will not reach that point. I think it's really specific to this industry. Yeah. Or, or to something that like 
in some other way requires, you know, some expensive level of expertise or a bigger team or something. I know that some folks in our industry and wellness are going after corporate clients or trying to build up corporate wellness programs. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of like insurance issues to wade through and HIPAA issues in the case of the U S like there are, there are folks in wellness that have businesses that are more complex and it like very well might make sense for you to to partner with someone or or require some sort of small investment in order to get a lot of legal paperwork done. And obviously those of you who are opening or who have brick and mortar businesses, like, yeah, you can't really bootstrap that. You can self-fund it. Like Sandy said, through Mm -hmm. bank loans, but that's, that's kind of a a different thing. So we're really talking our, our, this podcast and our business teachings are all about online business because that's what we've learned. And that's what we can really share best, even though we have, you know, other, we have, we have a taste of other things. Like what we're here to talk to you about is online business. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is a tool designed to help you teach, train, and coach from anywhere on the planet. If you're a wellness professional looking to take your business to the next level, you can learn more at namastream.com. So that, I guess that's where my mindset was when, when I was thinking about exploring investment, just like, I want to learn more about what I don't know. And then I want to make a better informed decision. Cause I felt like I made a decision without all the information. So what you did was you applied to a business, like a tech accelerator out yeah. of Seattle. I did. And, yeah. and they offered you the chance to be taught how to go and pitch to investors and introduce you to investors and have that sort of door open that you can go and because otherwise as a sole person, you wouldn't have a clue well, you, you, I don't, I, it'd be so hard to go like, Hey, VC firm, here I am. Talk mm-hmm. to me. Like that just wouldn't happen. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, you can't. No, nobody can do that really ever. So, so like, mm-hmm. yeah, it was like, I think was it 12 weeks or something or 16 weeks. It was a long time. So I was accepted. We, well, Namastream was accepted into a program with 10 other startups in the B2B sector. So, so we were all startups that served other businesses. So like there were no apps or companies that were directly facing consumers that like, so we were, it's all things like basically all things you would have never heard of. Right. So thing, people doing things behind the scenes to work with other businesses. So technology companies that service the back end of businesses. And, Mm -hmm. um, and it was really exciting for me because I wanted to learn. I, I I love learning. I love school. I love classes. I love seminars. I love everything. And so the idea of spending four months getting to learn about startup business and what it takes to grow and scale a software company was pretty much what I like. It, it was like stars in my eyes. I mean, it was what I was hoping to be able to do because I felt like then I could really give myself to Namastream in a way you know, that was meaningful. And it was not just me operating blindly, which is what it felt like for the first year and a half. Mm -hmm. So the part of the accelerator was that they taught you how to pitch. That was a big part. Yeah. Like, uh, like, yeah, you, they, I don't, how many hours do you, you, did you spend on your pitch deck? I I mean, months. Like literally it was just like for months. All I did did was, was pitch and then get feedback on how I talked and presented and slides and changing slides and changing like the tiniest little thing in a slide every day, like on every slide, it was just exhausting. And to me, like it, 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 it felt very futile and, and still does like in retrospect, feel like what, 
what was that? But <laughs> this is what it, I think this is what a, a lot of accelerators and, do. And you would, and then they would bring in VC firms for you guys to practice pitch on. And then yeah. they would say, investors. well, and angels. And, and, and they would, I remember you saying like, so you should, you know, take that slide out. It needs to say this. And then you would do that. And the next group you'd pitch to, they'd say, well, why did you say this? You should say that. And that is exactly what, how you had it. Right. Like yeah. it was just running around in circles trying to please everybody else. Yeah, that's right. And, and like, I think we need to just like pause here for a second and talk about the experience of being a female founder <laughs> in this kind of a world. So there in our, our company, obviously, is like all female pretty much. And there was out of 11 startups in our cohort, there were two, two, two of us had females like we were female run and had females on the team. And like the other nine didn't have any women at all mm-hmm. <laughs> on their teams. And that's pretty standard. Like it was actually pretty impressive that there were two female like female driven companies. Cause I think the cohort after us had none and the cohort before us, I think had none or one maybe. So it, it's like, that's also, I think a big part of what that experience was for me in the online space and obviously in the wellness space. So those are the two circles that we typically run in. There are a lot of women, like relatively speaking, like it's not 50, 50 by any means, but there's all kinds of women hanging around in our, in our worlds, right? Like in, in, in wellness, like in the teaching world of wellness and like yoga teachers and and health coaches. There's a lot of women. So I think it was like this very stark contrast for me to go into an environment that was so heavily men, male driven and filled with men. And there were so many days where I didn't see other women like, and in like go into investor meetings and have like a boardroom full of men that I would pitch at. It was fascinating, right? Like it's a fascinating life experience. And I think it also affects the process of fundraising. So you know, part of the reason I I think that, that like I was so turned off by this, this idea of getting investment and seeking investment and and not just like the process of seeking it, because that's over in a few months, but, but this idea of like these continued relationships with investors and then having to, to do a next round of investment and next one after that, because that's the only way anyone's money actually increases on paper is to do another round of investment at a, at a higher valuation. Um, the idea of like surrounding myself by that world I don't, <laughs> I, I just found it very, very dissatisfying. So let's just back up for a sec. Cause yeah. I, I don't think most people would have just followed what you said. So in my very simplistic view of this, this is how it works is that we as a company would state, we are going to raise X amount of dollars. Yeah. And then we put a date on that. Like we will raise it in the next three months. And um, in that three months, you as a CEO would go and pitch and pitch and pitch, and we'll have people that say, yes, I'm in, no, I'm out and so on. And if you raise that goal amount, they, uh, and they give you the money along the way sometimes, or sometimes, sometimes they wait, they so all wait till the end date. Yeah. But depends. you don't spend that until it's that close date. Theoretically. And then the, yeah. the, the, this that's not always true. That's not always true either, but yeah, that's the thing. But if you don't, my point is if you don't raise the money that you declared, then you basically have to give the money back to the investors and but nobody does that. Round. People just extend the date and they keep mm-hmm. trying to raise the round because these companies rely on it to survive. So okay. in theory, that's how, how it would work. And that's how Kickstarter works. But in, in, right. the, in the real world, you would just keep extending the, your round to be open 
basically forever until you get, because you actually, people do actually start spending the money before the date on, of the note. So, but it, and you, and we, we did kind of get caught up. So just, just to, to be clear too, I joined Namstream when Jenny decided to, to accept the position in the accelerator. So I ran Namstream while she went off to, to raise money for, for the company. And so uh, we did kind of get a little, you know, stars in our eyes, like, Ooh, we could race, we could have, you know, a million dollars or we could have yeah. 750,000, like, wow. And you kind of like start to drool a little bit and you start drawing out budgets of what you could do, what marketing you could do, what yeah. team you could build with this money. And it's very, 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 of course it's exciting. Right. Yeah. But what we quickly realized was the other side of that was like, what it felt like a little bit like we were selling our souls, uh, certainly selling the soul of the company. If we wanted to go in that route, we'd have a very, very different company on our hands. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be ours. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, that's right. Well, well okay. Just like here, here's just an example of something that was said to us. Cause I don't want to let this woman thing go. I know you're trying to change the subject oh, on me, Sandy, but, but like, for example, so there were actual words spoken to us yes. that were like, because we had an all female team. And so there were words spoken to us like, you know, people are really from some, some folks, you know, in the investment community, <laughs> like people are not going to invest in you. You're not going to be able to grow past like a seed round if you don't have a more diverse company profile. And I'm like, yes. excuse me, you, you are not fundable. I you're not them fundable saying that because you're all you're women, fundable? but it's because of mm-hmm. your lack of diversity. So there were things like that. They were like, oh, hell no. And this is going to be an explicit podcast. Just this one, <laughs> because no, like absolutely not. Like you look out in the sea of men, of men, sea of men. I'm like, are you, are you telling that to every other CEO I, that you I, come across? Because they all have the opposite inequity problem. And so they're like things like that. They were like, and that's something that's so like it's a punch in the gut for weeks, like, or now for a year, that's a punch in the gut to me. And Jenny, the irony of that is that we were one of the, I think there's only two of us, two companies in that cohort that actually had paying customers. Yeah, that's right. Right. And so what do you mean you were not investable because we, what, like we've got, we've got some history here. We've got, you know, more than a napkin idea here. And that's what I found. I remember that moment when they said that. And I remember we were in, it was like a glass wall behind them that when they were speaking and I just, it was literally a sea of men without a woman in sight. And you're telling us we're not fundable because we need to be more diversible, diverse. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it. That's right. It's just like instant anger. But it, and it's said by someone who I think had the best intentions in mind. Right. So that's like, that's like the problem. Yeah. And it's just, it's totally insane. I mean, their job, I don't even know how to, their, their job was to teach us to be, to get investment. And that's what they think we need is to have one person person said this. So, so like, yes, one person said this, but other people said other things and it was, um, and then, you know, anyway, there's, I've met quite a few women now in the startup world and like, there are lots of terrible things said to women. And there are lots of women who I think would say they've benefited by being women because they're sort of, you know, they stand out, you know, so, so like there are benefits and that's are, true. Like, that's true. We had opportunities that all those yeah. other guys didn't, we had a lot of opportunities. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and, and the people just to be totally honest, the people that were in, like willing to back us and invest in us were pretty much all women. I think mm-hmm. about it <laughs> very heavily women with like women led investors. And that's just the way the world works, I guess. But um, anyway, but I, I think that there were aspects other than just the company structure and that like there were aspects to, to going down an investment backed route to me that were 
first of all, I wasn't sure it was sustainable for a company because of like the timeline for growth that would be required for us to meet investor expectations. But also just because I didn't want to have to listen to this crap from anyone. I mean, that's I like I'm a really independent person and I, I'm happy to collaborate. I love partnering. I've always done my best with partnering whenever I've taken on a project or created an organization or company. And so, Sandy, like working with you and listening to your feedback is like one thing. And I, and it's actually something that's better for me than having no other collaborator. But when it comes to having somebody who has any power to tell me what to do, um, who's not somebody I necessarily would have picked to be a, a partner of mine is, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just not something I can participate in. I think I'm not, mm -hmm. it's like, I'm incapable of it. So, and yeah, the, the ones that the, the people that were interested, the females that were interested in investing in us definitely had some ideas, not all of them, but some of them had yeah. some very strong directions of where we wanted yeah, to go. Absolutely. And it was like, we could take the money, but then we'd have to do that. Exactly. Yeah. No. Uh, and, and, it, and like, you don't necessarily have to do that, but you don't really want to piss off your investors. And so like, I, 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 I think like, Without going too far into the weeds on this, I think that the, like if you have the drive to be an entrepreneur and to grow your own thing and have have a say over how it develops and what it becomes, like you really should explore bootstrapping because you sort of are stripped of that of that power when you decide to give away a significant part of your company to someone else. And that's the truth. So so long story short, um, I mean, after many months of this you know, we were sort of in a position where we knew we could raise the round we wanted to raise. We were in a position where we had been given sort of enough, uh, I feel like enough support and encouragement uh -huh. and commitment that like we could go down this route and say yes to the, the round or we back out and walk away. And we chose to back out and walk away. And it was like, a, it was it, tough. It was tough. We took a long time to decide like at least a month of like hemming and hawing and really thinking about it. Cause it'd be nice to like make a cushy salary while you're growing your company. And it'd be nice to like have way more than what you actually need. You know, like it's nice mm -hmm. to have a big budget that you can play with and like lose a bunch of money on testing out marketing strategies and see what happens. And the other part of that was like, yes, it wouldn't really wouldn't be our company, but the, the expectation of growth yeah. from these investors was like, we kept saying, do we want to run a company like that? Right. Like, do we want that? Do we want to run that kind of company? And yeah. there, there was no getting around that. Like they're in it because they're going to get their money out. And the only way they're going to get their money out is if they, you know, 10 X or hundred X or whatever. Or like 100 X. Like just put like, let's not, let's not beat around the bush. Like people. Okay. So, so we were in a situation where we were projecting out, you know, like this is not where we are right now. So I don't, but like tens of millions of dollars in revenue. Right. And and like, to me, that's a lot of money. Like to anyone, I think in, like pretty much anyone in the world, that's a lot of money. And we, we were saying, well, with this many millions, we can make this many millions. And we had a whole made up chart, like every startup does about that. And we were constantly hearing like, this is not big enough. Like this is not even a hundred million. And I'm like, I honestly, like, really? Like how, how many people <laughs> in the world are really going to make you a hundred million dollars with their company. Like, no, like you're living, you're crazy. Like there's only a few people, a few companies in the whole world that do that, you know, like that are going to do that yeah. in any given year. So I just feel like, 
the expectation was, was like, to me, it was already really challenging to, to figure out how to map out these financial scenarios where we're at like $40 million. Like remember making these, yeah, these it's, it's, spreadsheets, spreadsheets, and we're, it, just, it, we're it, just made up, but everyone's are made up. Right. But, but like, I was I, like, okay, I can see if this, 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 and this align and we spend this money targeted in this way. Okay. $40 million in five years or three years or whatever it is. Right. Like, and that, and then being told like, Oh, by the way, that's not ambitious enough. And I was like, but you have like all day a sea of like founders coming in here and blowing smoke off up your, you know, where who have no revenue, no sales, no nothing. And they're going to tell you that they're going to make you 300. They're going to make $300 million in three years. And like, we have a real functional business. And so I think that was like the, this part of like, I couldn't play that game anymore. I, mm-hmm. and, and like, and also the idea of, of like, making my sort of political activism around being a woman in that space was exhausting to me. So I think like that took away so much. Jenny, it almost broke you. And that was an exhausting, it was like, you were so beat up every single day by going into these meetings, right? It was, it was a really horrible thing to, to witness happen to you. Yeah. It was awful, you know, and, and not to take away, I I do want to say like the people, um, that ran the accelerator were amazing. Like just incredible, and they are amazing and they still, still, they still still support us. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's not to say, well, that we would never take investment ever. I mean, I don't see that playing out for us. I don't think we need it. I'm very happy with what we're doing without taking that on. Um, I love that we bootstrap our company. I love it. I love that it actually works over and over again. We need a pot of money for something and then we go make it and then we spend the money and that's how we work. And it feels safe and it feels controlled and doable. Yeah. Yes. And like ours and we're responsible yeah. and, and it's ours know, and, yeah. and it's ours. And, and we, ha- we, we have the say, right. And we can, Anyway, so, so not to say that like, I didn't learn a ton or that we didn't learn a ton. And that was like a tremendous time of growth for us as a company for like, we built our team out a little bit. We started doing, we started taking risks like that we wouldn't have taken. And I think it allowed us to think bigger than I think we ever would have considered having not done it. So even though we're not, I, I, I'm not talking about like making a hundred million dollars with this company right now. It doesn't mean that I'm not thinking 10 times bigger or 20 times bigger than I was before starting to go down that route, route to explore. But we'll investment. do it on our own terms. But we'll do it on our, our own, own terms. Rate. Yeah. And our own right. rate. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, so like it was for us, I think absolutely a net win. And I think it's also always having more information and more knowledge to, to go into your decision-making process is always a win, but this is just, it's like illustrate to those of you. I, I, I imagine like some female founders will find this podcast somehow in the ether of iTunes and, and hopefully listen to another story because there's not, a, not enough of us out there, but for the most part, our audience is, is, is in the wellness space. And, and this is probably a little bit irrelevant to, to many of you, but I, I think we just want to tell our story just because we want you to understand what is involved, at least from our experience, what's involved with fundraising. And we want to sort of like dissuade you from even <laughs> exploring it for the kinds of businesses that you all run, because we've also seen a ton of clients go from nothing to, to profit, right. Within months without any investment from anyone. Right. It's not nothing. You know, it's obviously like a few hundred or a few thousand dollars is not nothing, but you can, I promise you there's a better way to find it than going to raise it from someone that you're going to have to share your company with. Like 
there is like get a second job, like take on some freelancing projects, like pre-sell, kickstart something. Like there are a lot of ways to, to raise those initial funds um, that do not involve giving up part of your company and part of your soul potentially to do so. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's, it's an interesting story and, and is a really, yeah, very valuable time that we spent together that three, four months or whatever it was, yeah. it was interesting and I wouldn't give it up for anything. Right. No. And it's, it's anyway, just, it's always good to learn. Right. So, and, and if you have questions about this too, like come to our Facebook group, soulful.mba slash Facebook. And, you know, we're, we're happy, I think, to talk about the experience. It's been almost a year. It's been like 10 months, nine months mm -hmm. since we've like really some distance between yeah, we've had a little now. space, you know, so we're, we can talk about it more. Yeah. But. We'd love to hear if you guys have had a, an experience with, with raising money or asking for money and what that was like. Yeah. Not many have. All right. Let's wrap it up with our joy and hustle. Okay. Sandy, do you want to start with the joy? Sure. The Joy this week is the book, $100 Startup by Chris Gillibo. It is a, a fairly quick read, but it gives you an idea of what all these other entrepreneurs and owners are doing to start their businesses with relatively little money. And Chris, he's the one who runs the World Domination Summit, and he's just an interesting guy and smart guy, and he he writes very simply, very, very clear. Um, and he's got, I think, over a, a couple hundred interviews, you know, about different ways of starting a business that do not cost bazillions and of dollars, nor giving up your your uh, your soul or equity in your company. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say too, that's because I'm an audiobook aficionado. You can get Chris's book on audio with him reading it. So I'm always an extra special fan of, of audiobooks where the author is the narrator as well. And what's the hustle? The hustle. I'm going to pick one that's got, it's called Gusto and it's a payroll software. <laughs> and I think I just, I love it because we're legitimately running payroll for Namastream through this platform. It makes it super easy. We are not paid by these people. I explored all of like kind of like the online payroll to tools like QuickBooks and Zen payroll and a bunch of stuff like that. Zenefits, I think it's Zen payroll is called Zenefits now. And then um, Gusto. So Gusto was my favorite out of all the ones I tried in that, that's what we use for our payroll. And for those of you who are at a place where you're able to start taking payroll, I highly recommend that you, you start sooner rather than later, just for your own like tax and accounting purposes to pay yourself an, an actual payroll with like taxes withheld is a really lovely simplifying way to deal with your life and your business. And so again, we're, this is like in no way sponsored, but just our own take on the whole payroll thing. So we thought it was only fitting in an episode all about money to talk about how to pay yourself. Yeah. Only for us though. Just a yeah. Oh, yeah. side note there. Us only. U.S. Yeah. only, we have to deal with all kinds of other things for our Canadian counterparts. Canadian. The pain in the ass Canadian partners, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's our episode on money. And I'm sure we'll do probably a money part two eventually where we can talk about some other aspects. But fundraising is a part of our story in the history now in, in the narrative of our own company. And we just thought it would be fun to share with you. So hope you all are having a wonderful week and we will see you in the next episode. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Soulful MBA is not just the name of our podcast. It's also the name of our premium business course and community. If you are a wellness entrepreneur who dreams of growing your business online, but you're not clear on your next steps and you wish you had someone to guide you, 
then we've got something for you. Get Soulful MBA's first syllabus and three free video lessons by heading over to soulful.mba sample.